You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. And you know how Doritos are junk food? Well, just wait till you hear all the ways that stress is junk food for the soul. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. Okay, probably the most common question I get, aside from, can I pet your dog, is what matcha do you recommend? Up until like two months ago, I did not have a good answer. Also, up until two months ago, I didn't own an eyelash curler, so shout out to my sister's girlfriend for helping me step up my grooming game at the ripe age of 30. But the thing is, a true, pure, ceremonial-grade matcha can swim circles around an eyelash curler because the kind of upbeat, non-jittery energy that a truly great matcha provides can perk you up from eyelash to toe hair. If you haven't really experienced that with matcha, or if you've had a grossa matcha experience, when you drink Tenzo's matcha, you will know what I mean. Yes, Tenzo is my answer to what matcha do you recommend? Developed by two energy-seeking professional volleyball players who were tired of crashing from caffeine, Tenzo handpicks only the freshest, the greenest, and the most delicious green tea leaves straight from in a 100% organic farm in Japan. The result is the most photogenically emerald green matcha my eyes have ever seen and the smoothest, truly least bitter matcha my mouth had the pleasure of entering into it. You gotta try getting your calm energy boost from Tenzo's Matcha, an energy boost BT dubs that comes from both the caffeine in the matcha and the naturally occurring amino acid L-theanine, which is what helps your body process caffeine differently than it does coffee, which is why coffee gives you an enormous energy crash and matcha gives you steady alertness that can nix brain fog, low mood, mental exhaustion, and help you slay your day or your namaste. You also have to be really careful where you buy your matcha, you know, you guys. Some companies are selling low-quality blends that mix in sugar and other types of crap to cover the coarse and gritty taste of the matcha. That is no bueno and not the M.O. of Tenzo. Okay, so to take Tenzo on a spin, go to tenzotea.com slash party. That's Tenzo, T-E-N-Z-O-T-E-A. Tenzot.com slash party to save a joyful 20% on their matcha. You can even subscribe to get their matcha sent to you without even thinking about it. Yes, please, and thank you. Again, go to tenzot.com slash party to get your matcha cha on for 20% less than everyone else. Woo hoo. So you know how they say that health is wealth? Well, as my phenomenal functional medicine practitioner friend, Dr. Will Cole says in this chat, you don't have to be wealthy to be healthy. Boom. Shakalaka. Dr. Cole, or Will, is a doc who relies zilch on prescriptions and mucho on natural fixes. He is obsessed with finding the roots of health problems. And honestly, in this chat, I became obsessed with finding out his answers to every single thing that came to my mind. It turns out this brilliant man is not only a healer, but also a quote generation machine. And he was dropping some serious poetic responses. Something he said that really stuck with me was just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Out of context, that could apply to basically anything. I mean, headphones getting tangled the minute they enter a purse, my dog humping his bed when he's mad at us, me crying when I watch Monica and Chandler get engaged, even though I've seen that episode upwards of 39 times. But in the context of our conversation, Will was saying that so many folks struggle with so many common health issues today, but that shouldn't mean that they accept them as normal and live a less good life. This chat is also just what the doctor ordered because finally, finally, hoo-ha, I had an expert on the show who really broke down inflammation. You know, 
inflammation, that word you keep hearing but don't really truly honestly understand? Well, with Will, whose new book, The Inflammation Spectrum, is about to be your new go-to health manual, we talk about what inflammation is, what causes it, how it wrecks havoc in your body, and how to stop it. Now, I'll stop gushing and let Will steal the show here. Okay, I'm fasting this morning, so this is my, I'll give you a little feedback Ooh. right now. This is my cinnamon bergamot tea. Oh my! Wow, you're so you're fasting, but you're drinking tea, and it's in the cinnamon's coming up. Yeah, it, I think it's the cinnamon <laughs> that's infecting. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but bergamot, interestingly what enough, is, bergamot. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, bergamot is a citrus from Calabria in Italy, and it has been shown to increase autophagy which is cellular recycling, basically, if you break down that word autophagy. Uh, autophagy is this cellular, uh, kind of the healthy cells gobbling up and eating the dysfunctional cells. It's uh, our body's own anti-aging, anti-disease pathway. So intermittent fasting does that, increases autophagy, but so does bergamot. So uh, I'm sipping this tea. It's actually from Peak Tea. It's really um, an amazing thing. I'm not sponsored by them, but they're just a great company. Peak Tea is the brand. Yeah, peak tea is the brand, but it's their cinnamon fasting tea. It has cinnamon, which is great for blood sugar and improving antioxidant pathways, and bergamot, which does the autophagy bit. So wow. that's what I'm doing. And um, yeah. And how long will you be doing that for? Like when will you start eating? Uh, I do typically, I do time restricted feeding of like 12 to 6. So 12 to 6. So that's your window of eating. Yeah, it's my window of eating. So I will stop eating. Shortly after six, and maybe twelve to seven, some days. But basically, I'll stop eating in the evening, and then I won't eat to the next day until noon. And sometimes they do deeper fasts and more than that. But that's my like go-to, like typical seeing patient uh, schedule. And what's the benefit of that? It increases autophagy, cellular recycling, anti-aging mechanisms. It's also a way to increase longevity mechanisms, and um, it increases ketosis. So it's a, a tool to become more metabolically flexible, increase ketones and kind of lean into my ketotarian, mostly plant centric ketogenic lifestyle. Um, yeah. So that I went off on a tangent. Because yeah, of my we, throat. <laughs> we went out on an educational tangent. I appreciate yeah. that. So yeah, what for functional medicine? <laughs> yeah, back back to that functional medicine. So we use labs using a thinner reference range. So anybody that's listening will know when they get this lab reference range from their basic labs from their doctor, they'll have their number and then they'll have this reference range. Well, that reference range is largely, for the most part, they're based on statistical bell curve averages of people who go to labs. Mm -hmm. and, and people that go to labs are not the healthiest bunch of people. So sadly, and there's a lot of people that go and say, hey, I know I don't, this is not normal for me. I'm, I'm feeling fatigued or I'm having these symptoms. I feel like it's, I'm imbalanced in some way. And they go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, all these labs are fine. They're quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what they're unintentionally saying is, is that you're a lot like the other people with health problems that are making up this reference range that we're comparing oh, you to. Boom. So if functional medicine, we're taking people with health problems out of the reference range. So it's standardized and we're looking at where optimal vibrant wellness is. And that's what we're comparing you to or the patient to. That is really insightful to understand what are these underlying pieces to why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. So this is really important when you're dealing with autoimmune uh, inflammation like spectrum issues, when you're dealing with hormonal imbalances, and really anything when it comes to the human physiology. It's really important to understand where are you and where is optimal wellness? Where is your body functioning the best? That's the functional range. That's what we're comparing you to. And that's where we get our name, functional medicine. So wow. that's, the, that's the first thing we do differently. Second thing, we run more comprehensive labs. So we're looking at things like microbiome, like underlying gut issues, toxicity issues like mold or heavy metals, or um, and then chronic infections like viral issues and bacterial issues, uh, nutrient deficiencies, hormonal imbalances, all these sort of myriad of different complexities that make you, you and me, me and makes us feel the way that we do. Um, and we realize that we're all different. And I think that's kind of the third part. There's not a cookie cutter, one size fits all approach to getting well, because when you're looking at all those complexities, it's so dynamic and so variable. And it's a lot more complicated than just saying, well, you know, if your cholesterol is above 200, give you a statin. Or if you're 
thyroid marker is above 4.5, give them Synthroid. It's a lot more nuanced than that. So why do you have the cholesterol issue? Why do you have the thyroid problem? It's not a medication deficiency. So let's actually cause is it, is it a, <laughs> medication deficiency? Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's not a and thing. It's this, and true. You know, it's well. no like drug deficiency that's going to drug yourself into health one day where you can go off the drug and be fine. For the most part, or the overwhelming majority, that's not the case. So um, my job as a functional medicine practitioner is to look at these underlying issues and then tailor a lifestyle program based on that lab data. So foods will change based on those lab data and health history and natural medicine protocols like uh, supplement, herbal supplement protocols will change based on the clinical data and the health history. Uh, So that's what we do. We clinically monitor people and coach them and educate them to really get their labs looking great. And then obviously those labs are a reflection of why these people are struggling with their health issues. So that's what I do. I love it. I'm passionate about it. I could talk about it all day. I I won't bore you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's you're like a detective. Yeah, I am. I'm a clinical like health, like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, that is so cool. And what's really interesting is that because you work with so many people digitally or virtually or from afar, that means that people must be really good at communicating to you like what they're feeling because you're not there to really be like touching them and, and interacting with them in the flesh. So that's really interesting to me that either they're very good at communicating it or you're very good at asking those detective questions to get them to communicate. Cause I feel that that's a very challenging thing for a lot of people to tune in with their bodies and then explain what they're experiencing. Do you feel that it's more you pulling questions out of them or are people better at communicating than I think they are? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a really good question. Uh, I would say you're right. They're the local PCP or GP, we're not replacing them. They, they, they had to go to their PCP for their general physical exam and that we're not uh, replacing that conventional health checkup setting. But my role as a functional medicine practitioner is to be adjunctive to that or complementary to that and giving them a functional medicine perspective on their health and giving them tools to implement into their life so they can heal, overcome these issues, improve these issues and start reclaiming their health. So to answer your question directly, I honestly feel like it's it's our skill in functional medicine to ask these questions because yeah. these are just regular people. These are not like a brilliant communicators where they're just always so in tune with their bodies. Like I have awesome patients, but our training in functional medicine that lends itself to digging deeper. So uh, it is uh, definitely an art. There's an art and science to it. The science is the labs and being uh, objective and being evidence-based. And then the art of it is reading in between the lines, asking the right questions, being persistent, being present, being empathic, being intuitive. These are all things that are the art of, of, of it all. So it's this dichotomy that my team and I love like we wake up in the morning like we go to the, the clinic here and we start our day off well first of all we start our day off with just meditation and prayer for these people because we know they're going through real stuff mm. and we don't take that lightly that that is a, a divine responsibility a sacred responsibility to be a part of someone's health journey that is struggling I mean these are people that are very well read very well educated mm. a lot of them are in healthcare themselves mm. but they're still struggling Uh, So they're doing all the things, but they're still feeling like really bad. So we start day day off there, but then just being mindful of the clinical side of things, of keeping an open mind and being, how can we be there for them in the best way that they need at that moment? So it's a really awesome experience. We're with them over a couple of months to a year or to two years, depending on the complexity of the case. So it's a really cool thing we've been doing for the past decade plus, 11 years at this point, probably. So it's cool, cool thing. I can feel your passion through the microphone right now. Like I, I <laughs> literally feel it. It's really special and, and amazing that you care that much and your whole team, you know, you're meditating for these, these people. It's really, really cool. And what are these, you know, you say that this is real stuff people are dealing with. What is the stuff? What are the biggest struggles that people come to you for? I mean, I'm sure some folks are listening right now and they're like, wait, like I go to my PCP, but like, they're not really helping me. Is this for, you know, is functional medicine for me? Who's it for? Yeah. So the people that we 
we spend our most time with. They're our people, right? They're the people that are struggling. We're on the ground with them, proverbially speaking, and just dealing with these issues in real time. Uh, it's people with autoimmune issues, and that yeah. is far-reaching. That's over 50 million Americans. There's over 140 different autoimmune spectrum issues that can be things like Hashimoto's, thyroid issues, MS, Parkinson's, celiac disease, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, mm -hmm. uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Those, these are some autoimmune issues. And there's people with autoimmune components but may not be full-blown having auto, autoimmune disease. They may just have these you know, uh, inexplicable flares, these inflammatory flares that are not labeled yet, but we're kind of giving insight into the mechanisms that's causing them to feel the way that they do. People with, um, so that's autoimmune branch of people that can impact the brain, impact digestion, uh, and impact hormones. But then there's people that are non-autoimmune that have digestive issues that we talk to. There's mm -hmm. people with brain fog and fatigue that uh, we deal a lot with, anxiety and depression, um, hormonal problems like adrenal fatigue, which is really a brain-based, you know, HPA access issue. So we're looking at cortisol imbalances. We're looking at estrogen, progesterone imbalances, thyroid issues are a major part of the clinic. Um, and people, uh, kids on the autism spectrum, we deal a lot with that. Mm. Um, so it's a lot of different types of people, but the commonality is inflammation, which mm. is honestly why I wanted to write about this concept of inflammation in my second book, because my first book was more like my experience with the, my experiencing the ketogenic diet of doing it mostly plant-based ketotarian, but inflammation is such a bigger concept in my functional medicine space. Yeah. So educating people of the inflammation spectrum, what that means, how this is impacting so many people, because these are the people that I have a heart for and a passion for, uh, because these are largely things they can start to improve. Right. And, but most people don't even know what, why they feel the way they, they do, and then even have the, the tools and the agency to do something about it. So it is um, my passion and life's work to, to get this information out there. Okay, woo! Let's go into it right now. So it sounds like you help a lot of people that just don't feel their best. They're like, yo, I'm doing the stuff. I'm exercising. I'm eating the plants. I'm taking the supplements. I'm, I'm <laughs> intermittent fasting. I'm meditating, but like I still feel like crap. And then you swoop in. I mean, unless they have an autoimmune you know, disorder condition, like that's different. But it sounds like you also help peeps that I just described. And it sounds like a root cause to this is inflammation for people feeling lousy. So talk to me about inflammation. What is inflammation? Yeah. So inflammation, can I just say first too, you're a great interviewer on oh, podcasts. Thank you. I'm on a lot of podcasts. You're really just natural at this. So yeah, I, don't, I mean, thanks. I'm not yeah. editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in. It's, <laughs> uh, anyway, so the inflammation is a product of the immune system. So it is in balance a good thing. It fights viruses. It fights bacteria. It heals our body. It's like inflammation in check. Inflammation in balance is wonderfully amazing. And we would all be goners without healthy balanced inflammation levels. Mm -hmm. The problem is when inflammation is out of balance, right? Just like so much in our body, our gut microbiome, uh -huh. bacterial balance, nutrients, too much is not good, too low is too, not good either. And on a macro level, look at environmentally, the homeostasis and the balance of nature. It is the Goldilocks principle, not too high, not too low, but just right <laughs> and just right at the right time. And Inflammation. Well, in the three bears. I was just trying to remember, yes. like, which one's yes. that? Oh, the porridge. Yeah. The porridge, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it is <laughs> uh, inflammation is when, a problem when it's out of balance. And most mm -hmm. people in the West are sadly dealing with too high inflammation. Now, there are people that, have immuno, that are immunocompromised and have low inflammation, too, or low immune systems. But most people have this sort of dysregulation of inflammation where it's high uh, and it's imbalanced. And it's like uh, all the time, like we're like just constant. It's kind of, it sounds like it's like when you get a cut and I don't know, right? Isn't it like your body's trying to heal the cut? And is that like a, I don't know what I'm talking that's about. That's inflammation. Okay. Yeah. When it gets yes, red, when your wound gets, about. you've got it. But <laughs> that's like our permanent, that's some people's permanent state. Like we're kind of running around like always in that like inflamed state is what you're telling me is like an issue right now. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and it's not acute inflammation necessarily, even though right. different people, autoimmune issues can definitely have acute flare-ups. Uh -huh. But 
the bigger problem is this sort of insidious, chronic, low-grade low inflammation. Grade, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, where it's like this low-grade cut that is like brewing forever, which is a problem because it's like a forest fire, like burning in perpetuity. It's a, it's an issue. It's going to create issues because we're, we're made up of cells. Mm -hmm. And for people that didn't know that, we are made up of cells. Yeah, breaking news. But, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> let's tag that and put it on Instagram as a quote. <laughs> uh, we're made up of cells. Uh, and every cell is has a cell membrane. Well, those cellular membranes, there's a, basically a phospholipid membrane, this bilipid fatty membrane on every cell of our body and we're made up of trillions of cells that cellular membrane can become inflamed and it becomes less permeable and what is inside the cells it's the nucleus it's the mitochondria it's our dna so when the body has this low grade meaning it's 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 low it's not acute but it's chronic it's going on for months and years and years for many people this can create cellular damage. It's going to impact DNA production. It can trigger genetic predispositions for different health problems. This is an issue. So inflammation is both upstream and downstream to health issues, meaning that something's causing the inflammation to be high, but then when inflammation is high, it can trigger other problems because our body's interconnected. So if this is, you have to deal with both sides of the coin here. And so from a functional medicine standpoint, that's what I do all the time. Mm. But uh, I wanted to write about it for the layperson that maybe doesn't want a functional medicine doctor or doesn't even know they need one and to just start, they, these are action steps. Many of them, they can just start doing in their life right now without a doctor. So um, it's uh, definitely important because inflammation is the commonality between just about every health problem we face as a, as a world today. So when you're looking at autoimmune issues, we talked about that, it's 50 million Americans diagnosed with an autoimmune disease or have one that don't know they're diagnosable. And then there are millions more that are somewhere on this inflammation spectrum where they um, diabetes, which isn't an autoimmune condition unless it's type one or type 1.5, which is a, like a hybrid. I didn't know that. That's new. Yeah. It's called late autoimmune diabetes of adulthood or LADA or LADA. And it's, it is autoimmune component, but it's also insulin resistant, like type two many times. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so other inflammatory issues would be type two diabetes, heart disease, cancer, to things like anxiety, depression, and brain fog and fatigue. Uh, these are all linked in the scientific literature to either being full-blown inflammatory health problems or at least having an inflammatory component to it. So let's start talking about it because it is really impacting the majority of the human race. Sadly. Wow, even things like anxiety and depression are linked to inflammation? Yeah, there's a whole field of research referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function, basically how inflammation impacts how our brain works. And it's impacting neurotransmitters, it's impacting uh, emotions and anxiety attacks and depression. Uh, so this is uh, a facet for many people. Uh, and then there's a bigger field of neurological autoimmunity, people that have these uh, these autoimmune inflammatory components to their mental health as well. So it's important to know that mental health is physical health. Mm -hmm. Mental health isn't just some obscure thing that's just like because you're a weak person or because you, um, you know, whatever reason that people shame themselves with. It's a, a lie. Uh, mental health is physical health. And there's a physical component in most cases that's driving the mental health issues. Now, there's our poll quote. Mental health is physical health. Damn. Period. Mic drop. That's really, really impactful. Yeah, because it's impacting so many people. I think it's like wow. 40 million uh, Americans are struggling with depression or like severe yeah. depression. It, uh, anxiety and depression are the leading cause of disabilities in our country. Oh my God. Uh, it is major issue. Well, why is it a major issue now more than ever? Well, in part, it's because of the it's this is the age of inflammation, as they talk about. <laughs> the age of inflammation. That makes it sound fun. It is not fun. No, um, not fun. But what, I think I'm missing the link between autoimmune issues and inflammation. It sounds like they're like the same. They're very connected. Can you just explain the link? Because I feel like I'm a little confused. Yes, very good differentiation there. So autoimmune conditions are inflammatory, meaning that it's the immune system Inflammation is a product of the immune system. So when you're dealing with autoimmune issue, it's the self-immune. Auto is the prefix of self. It's, it's when the immune system attacks the self, uh -huh. your body, when the immune system turns against the body and attacks it. So for example, the most common autoimmune condition is Hashimoto's or autoimmune thyroiditis. Uh -huh. So 
And if you break that word down, autoimmune thyroiditis, itis, the suffix there is inflammation. And you think itis is oh. inflammation. So it is the immune system creating these inflammatory cytokines, these inflammatory cells, and then thinking that the thyroid is a virus or bacteria and is attacking it. So the thyroid is like, what the heck? I want to work. Right. But then the immune system is like literally destroying it. Oh my so God. this is, that is the most common. It's yeah. the, it's actually the first autoimmune condition ever discovered in science. The guy who discovered it was la has the last name Hashimoto's. Got I it. would never want a disease named after me, <laughs> but it was a thing. Yeah. It was a thing at one point. So the basically, and then there's so many other ones, right? Yeah. But that's just an example. So that is autoimmunity. Now you can have almost all people with autoimmunity is going to have some level of inflammation, mm -hmm. but just because you have inflammation doesn't mean you have autoimmunity. Got it. So inflammation may or may not have an autoimmune component to it, meaning that it just may be inflamed. So type two diabetes is a good example here. There's no solid evidence to show that's really going to have a significant autoimmune component. The mechanism is cellular uh, inflammation, namely in the liv liver, mm -hmm. uh, that is actually blunting the insulin receptor sites. So that's a hormonal resistance pattern. That's insulin resistance. So it's inflammatory. It's blunting that hormone insulin from getting on the insulin receptor site and not allowing glucose into the cell. So that's inflammatory for sure, but it's not, it's not autoimmune in that way. Um, so in this, obviously TH1, there's different like the detailed uh, mechanisms at play that are uh, would be uh, considered autoimmune that wouldn't be inflammatory, but that's the basic idea. Got it. I am pumped that one of my favorite plant party products on the planet is sponsoring this episode. If you've spent but a few secs skimming my Instagram or binge watching my YouTube channel, which you should, by the way, if you haven't, but when you do, you'll see that Sun Warrior plant protein powder is the Kanye to my West, the bees to my knees, the Wilson to my castaway, something I would not want to live without. When I'm looking for a way to make my smoothies actually fill me up so I don't need a follow-up snack a few minutes after finishing my smoothie, I blend in Sun Warrior because I don't want to get bloated, gassy, or feel crappy after consuming protein powder. I use Sun Warrior. Because I am not a fan of protein powders with weird, chalky textures and nasty flavors, I use Sun Warrior. See, it's no wonder I blend Sun Warrior protein powder into every smoothie I make and bake it into almost every baked good I bake. If you want some recipes for doing the same, head to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash partyinmyplants. Click subscribe and you'll get an epic, easy Sun Warrior plant protein recipe in your inbox every month. And if you want to get your mitts on Sun Warrior for 15% less than the rest of the world pays to get their mitts on it, just use the code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on their site, sunwarrior.com. Again, in case you sneezed as I said that, I said you can use code PARTYINMYPLANTS at checkout on sunwarrior.com to save 15%, my friend. The end of the sponsorship thing. I mean, let's get into the meat of the episode, or not meat, the tofu of the episode. <laughs> So does inflammation like unmanaged or unhealed, and we'll talk about how to do that, but does, could that lead to an autoimmune condition or are people just born with autoimmune conditions, which means their bodies are just like, you know, packed full of inflammation? So that's a really another good question. So <laughs> Thank that, you. That, yeah, I feel like good. I'm in school right now. This is so fun. <laughs> I'm like having the best time. <laughs> So it research estimates that a th a, the autoimmune puzzle, about a third of that puzzle is genetics and two thirds is epigenetics. These are the lifestyle things that like how we live our life, uh -huh. the foods we eat, the foods we're not eating, our stress levels, our exposure to toxins, all of these epigenetic lifestyle stuff are constantly and dynamically instructing genetic expression. So um, it's our genes are typically a component with autoimmune conditions. So if someone has a gene variant or a gene snip uh, that mm. are that like a family history of autoimmune conditions. Yes, there's the potential there, but that doesn't mean they're going to get an autoimmune disease. So uh, the, the more of the influencer in most cases are some sort of lifestyle trigger that trigger that genetic predisposition. 
Wow. That's, that's really, so two thirds of whether we turn on these genes or not is up to us. Yeah. Largely. I mean, that's very empowering. Yeah, exactly. It and also kind scary, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, right. It depends on how you look at yeah. it. But we, well, we have a lot of agency on, on our health and I, there's other studies like looking at twins and it's about 77% of our immune system is due to choices that we make. Uh, so genetics is a facet and we look at genetics in our clinic, but so much more of it is lifestyle in most cases. Now to say if someone's in an inflamed state, could that become autoimmune? It depends on their genetic predisposition. And there's some people that have no known family history of autoimmunity, but they still find themselves with an autoimmune condition. So that may be that the the person's gone through so much stress, so much trauma, so much inflammation that it did trigger an autoimmune component. And uh, that that does happen. But most often times there is a genetic predisposition uh, and then something triggered it. But the point is here that whether or not you have an autoimmune disorder inflammation is affecting us all on a terrible level. And so whether it's gone to that level or it's at that level based on your genes and then your lifestyle choices, blah, 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 it doesn't really matter for the sake of this conversation because just inflammation, it's the age of inflammation and it's really plaguing a lot of people, whether it's there or not. Yeah. So why, why is this happening? So it is, and it is, it's important to, to note that it exists on a continuum, exists on a spectrum. So it could be one end is like mild, like I have, I'm mildly having brain fog or fatigue or anxiety. And then the other end of that inflammation spectrum is full blown, you know, ICD-10 code, some diagnosed with an autoimmune condition or diabetes or heart disease or whatever else it is. Mm-hmm. And then there's everything in between. Uh, so that's important to know. It's not yeah. a static thing where it's like obvious all the time. Sometimes it's because remember when someone's diagnosed with a health problem, that takes on average about seven to 10 years prior to that diagnosis for those things to begin. Like if oh. someone's like diagnosed with diabetes, it didn't start yesterday. If someone diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, it didn't start yesterday. So on average, it's seven to 10 years prior. Wow. So think about that. That's a lot of years in all life that those things were brewing. That inflammation storm was on the horizon for quite a time. And it's important to be vigilant and being proactive about, about our health, no matter where you're at on that inflammation Wow, spectrum. yeah. That's a real great argument for just preventative. You know, like if you're feeling fine right now, well, don't just, you know, sit back and eat all the crap because in seven to 10 years from now, you might not be feeling so fine. Right. And we, we want to control the things we can control. Yeah. We want to do something about the things we can do. And gr- good news, there's a lot of things you can do. Yes. Uh, this is not like, oh my gosh, I can't, like, I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. Look, there are some things that are inexplicable. There's some things that are, you can't explain it and bad things happen out of the blue and no one can trace it back that those things happen. But largely, there are a lot of warning signs. Mm. Like, we need to look at our own body's check engine lights. How's our (laughs) energy levels? How's our digestion? How's our sleep? How's run some basic labs? How do they look? Um, These are some things that people need to be in tune with. So in the book, the inflammation spectrum book, there's the a Mm. quiz people can take to take inventory that is obviously not a lab, but it's a questionnaire to kind of see where generally am I at on this inflammation spectrum. So to answer your question, what's the cause of this? Yeah. Our genetics haven't changed in about 10,000 years, but yet the amount of things that have changed very dramatically in a very short period of time, when you're looking at it in context with the totality of human history, it's epigenetics. So it's it's the foods we're eating or not eating. It's our stress levels. It's exposure to toxins. These things are waking up genetic predispositions that have been there for 10,000 years, but they're being woken, awoken like never before mm. because of the amount of stress that we're putting our genes under. So yes, there's a genetic predisposition for almost every health problem out there, but why are we seeing numbers like never before? Well, part of it's probably better diagnostics. That's a sliver of that. Mm -hmm. But the bigger amount is that, no, it's actually increasing. Like the amount of people dealing with health problems is increasing. Uh, And it's because of the amount of stress that we're putting our bodies under. So 
You're yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and it, what's totally whack and crazy is that right now, more than ever, acupuncture is so popular. Almond milk, oat milk, you can buy at any gas station or bodega. I mean, I started eating healthfully 10 years ago when I had to make my own almond milk. It, it like no one knew what that was. Now I can walk in, 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 I was going to say in Pittsburgh. I do not live in Pittsburgh, but here in Brooklyn, <laughs> like I can walk to like five vegan ice cream places and get dairy free ice cream. Like, Everything is so commonplace, meditation, exercise, yet you're telling me that we're sicker than we've ever been. And that is just, oh, I mean, it's the stress. It's the stress. It's not the access to almond milk, isn't it? It's the stress. And while it's exciting that almond milk and these things, these more healthier options, and I completely agree with you, Mm -hmm. we live in a time that it's the dichotomy. While one side, it is like growing health problems like never before, the other side of that, well, there is a growing amount of access yeah. and we need to get better at it and make it more accessible, more affordable for people. But the problem is they are in little pockets, right? Mm. I mean, yes, they are more accessible in Brooklyn or in nice affluent areas in Pittsburgh or in LA and Abbott Kinney. And like, there are pockets of this, but there's a large part of the United States that still don't have great access. They had better access than they did in the eighties and nineties, certainly, but cause the internet can ship them things, but there's an education problem too. It's just like, they don't even realize that they should really be doing it. They know maybe they should, but they're not really informed or not equipped. They're not empowered to do it in a way that's shifting the statistics in a powerful way. So I think that there are pockets of people that are shifting the statistics, but it's not the majority. I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. I'm in my little bubble. I, you know, the only places I really travel to are like, you know, Colorado or, you know, Nantucket where these are all the pockets. Now I feel like an ass, Mm -hmm. but whatever, these are all the pockets. (laughs) I'm in the pockets. Got to get out of the pockets. And you're right. I mean, that's right. Thank you for, for telling me that. Yeah, it's all right. Hey, it's our life. It's no shame in that. But it's important to know there's a lot of people that like I still see patients that are they don't know even know like what a vegetable is or like how to cook it. They have no idea. They've never even gone to that section of it. It's not the majority of my patients over. Mm -hmm. I'd say almost all of my patients are eating way better than the average human, but they're still struggling. So that's the difficult case is that's the majority of my practice. But occasionally I'll get the person that's like somehow finds functional medicine, God bless them. And they're like, I want to be healthy. And they know just enough. They need to get healthy, but they literally have no idea where to start because they don't even know what real food looks like. They've never even cooked anything in their life. That's, I know, I realize I'm just scraping the surface of that. That's a cultural problem that uh, is an issue uh, of informing people and empowering them and getting them access to this stuff too. Yeah. Well, what's really exciting about that is that once they do figure out how to make broccoli or whatever, like their whole life can change so dramatically because if they're not Mm -hmm. eating anything real, the minute they start incorporating that, I mean, it's like, hallelujah, like they're going to feel so energized and their potential for change and improvement is so drastic, Mm -hmm. which is exciting to me. I mean, it's terrible that there's so many people that don't know what to do and have access. And that's definitely something that I'm like now thinking, like, how can I get more involved? But um, it's so cool because their potential is so great. Totally. Yeah, it's a major issue. I think the more and more we're talking about this in the health space, making it more like democratizing this stuff and just basic stuff. And that's the easy thing for the book or a podcast. Mm -hmm. These are no cost like a podcast or low cost like a book where (laughs) people can start implementing things into their life that it's not you don't have to be super wealthy to be healthy. Um, Another cool quote. Nailed it. That was good. (laughs) Don't have to be super wealthy to be healthy. I love that. So then we need to do better. We need to do better. Look, but look, I live in the country side outside of Pittsburgh. I do not live in like a super like Mecca of like wellness. I can go to Costco. I can go to Walmart. I can go to Target and get a lot of good stuff. So let's keep that in mind. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know that you can get this stuff. I teach people how to do it. It's not super difficult, but they have to know it's out there. Yeah. And they have to want to do it and have, you know, want to exactly. give up their Big Macs or whatever. So then it sounds like we're kind of leading ourselves into this food thing. Is this, would you say food changes are the first way to make inflammation changes? In most cases, absolutely. It's a first starting point. Mm-hmm. And this is the bigger 
picture of biological variability or bioindividuality, we're all created differently. What works for one person may not work for the next person. So my job is to, on a, at least on a functional medicine clinical level, is to find out what that is and run labs and really be tailored. But there's also a lot of things that people can start doing on their own. So what I teach in the Inflammation Spectrum book is for people to do their own personal food experiment to see how foods make them feel and discover what their body loves and what their body doesn't love. So that, at that point, they can start, again, equipping them, empowering them with, well, like I can feel great using food as medicine. <laughs> and I avoiding the foods that make me feel like crap isn't diet, isn't dogma, isn't shaming you. It's just like, no, I'd rather feel better than I miss that food. Oh my God. I'm like throwing my hands in the air right now. This is everything that my upcoming book is about. This is my entire purpose for being. Like I fully well, agree with everything you're saying that we get to choose how we feel based on what we put into our body. And it's not, people ask me, sorry, I'm like going on a tangent here, but I'm like very pumped up. People ask me like, how do you get more willpower? It's not about getting more willpower. It's about not wanting to feel like crap. So then you don't eat the crap foods. It's very simple. Yeah. And sometimes they need to get over that hurdle because when they do feel like crap, they don't have the energy to like put into like changing the way that they eat. I mm -hmm. get it. The beginning can be tough. But once you start feeling better, you can start filling up your tank, so to speak, you start running on, you know, full capacity. Then it's a no brainer. Yes. At that point, you feel fantastic. You never want to go back. Right. And you're just so much more. It's not like when you walk through the junk food aisle, you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I could have that. It's like, eh, no, it's actually I love this way that I feel so much more than I miss that whatever food 100%. that is. 100%. So how do people, I think getting folks to really recognize the connection between what they put in their mouth and then how they feel, that is huge. That is challenging. But once you get it, life is great. But how do you help people get it? Because it's, you know, how, you know pay attention to how food makes you feel. Like, that's vague and big picture. I'm sure you have really tangible um, advice for how someone actually pays attention to that. Sure. So how I do it in the book, because it's different clinically, because obviously you're talking to that person, you can take into consideration. But for the book purposes, which is, I think, a good starting place, yeah. would be finding out where you're on the inflammation spectrum, A, and then B, based on your score, you on the quiz, you will do an easier elimination diet approach or a more a deeper one. So there is a four week option called core four. And then there's an eight week option called eliminate. It's a oh, nice pun, a pun on words, guys. The well, AT turned yeah. into a number eight. <laughs> you're not just a doctor. You're a, a wordsmith. I am a wordsmith. <laughs> I, I pride myself on loving words. Very good. <laughs> uh, so the uh, once people do the four to eight week elimination diet approach, well, what is an elimination diet? It's removing the things that are most likely causing inflammation in the body or what foods that cause that make you feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, you're focusing on nutrient dense foods, healing foods. It doesn't have to be complicated. It could be super simple. You can get it all at Aldi or Walmart and then calm that down and then reintroduce foods one by one. And then we're all, all different. And you may find when you reintroduce foods, you do great on some. And then, then the next person, those same foods would cause them to feel horrible. Yeah. But they have to create a baseline. So those initial four weeks or eight weeks calming the inflammation levels down is the baseline. You're wiping the slate, slate clean. You're calming inflammation levels down. But when you reintroduce it, you can see, oh, wait, I have increased uh, inflammation I have and what that looks different for different people. So it could be just a flare up of what they used to go through before they calmed inflammation levels down. So that can look like anxiety. It could look like depression. It could look like brain fog and fatigue, increased joint and muscle pain, digestive issues, uh, an increase of their symptom in any way, because most of those symptoms are inflammatory. So that is a simple way to do that. Now, obviously everybody's at different parts on the inflammation spectrum. So I teach like specific things to focus on depending on where they're at. But that's the general idea, like the, the baseline, the foundation of the idea uh, for finding out how foods make them feel because they're being mindful. They're eating yeah. mindfully. They're taking they're conscious of w how they're feeling. And when they can start to pause and eat mindfully, then, then they can start seeing like right after they eat or the days after they eat, how are they feeling? And then you can start tracking trends and being in tune. That's just being responsible for your body. That's, yeah. that's like this baseline, like 
you're alive in this body. If you don't respect your body, who else is going to do that? Right. So you're, you're going to have to start owning what you have, owning the gifts that you have, owning where you're at in life to really start feeling better. So these are the beginnings of things to think about if somebody does want to start feeling better. And it's so exciting because, again, like we're in control for the most part of feeling better. So like it's exciting to take ownership of that. Like, woo, I can feel better. And it's interesting because I wrote down uh, as you were talking, what does inflammation feel like? Because I always thought it was just really interesting that you could say it could be anxiety, could be depression. Like, I, I think that the biggest piece of information for, with your book and this conversation and, and all your work here right now is that like inflammation is affecting you people in ways that you might not realize. Like, I think a lot of people think inflammation is like, I don't know, not something you you see or you know, or like, it's just this thing. It's, it's very non-tangible, but it sounds like it's a lot of people's common daily woes. Absolutely. It absolutely is. So that's why it's so important to educate people first on, whoa, like this fatigue or this brain fog or this anxiety is not just some random, random. thing and there's yeah. no reason why it's happening. Well, it's in most cases, if not all cases, having an inflammatory component or full-blown inflammation impacting your body. So it is definitely something to, to look at. Like, yeah. what are my options? What are my options? What can I do? I mean, it's pretty exciting that like this one thing can positively impact so many woes just because if you get a hold of it, then those woes will decrease. Like it's, it's not, it makes this less of a mystery. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is uh, that kind of that um, amazing moment that I get to be at, like seeing patients is going over these labs. And honestly, like it's this bittersweet moment because I don't want to be, I don't take pride or like joy in like going over. These are all the problems that you have on your labs, but it's, this moment where they already know they're struggling. They already know something's not right. So if anything, this like validates why they feel the way that they do. Mm -hmm. And it gives them action steps to do something about it. Because you have to know what you're up against to do something about it. Yeah. And many people are like shooting in the dark and like I, they either don't even, they're not even in tune with their body to know this isn't normal mm -hmm. or they don't even know what to do about it if they do realize it's not normal. And something that I say a lot about that's true just because something's common doesn't make it normal. And Oof, yes. health issues are ubiquitous. The growing medication list, pervasive. But we shouldn't normalize something that's just common because these are right. things in most cases that are reversible, overcomable, manageable, sortable, yeah. outable things that you can <laughs> deal with uh, that that – why would we settle for anything less? Amazing. Yeah, just because like you and all your friends say you can't sleep doesn't mean that like, oh, I guess people aren't sleeping anymore. Yeah, or they, <laughs> they think, oh, I'm just getting older. This is part of aging. Well, accelerated aging is pervasive in our society. This, don't settle for that. Like there's yeah. so much you can do to to live a long, healthy, vibrant life and grow grow old gracefully yeah. and in health. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you said there a lot of foods that could cause inflammation in us are unique to us since we're unique, but are there just general foods that like everyone should scrap to lessen their inflammation? So the point of the inflammation spectrum, like food elimination diet plan is to really try not to make like broad sweeping overgeneralized statements because all the foods that I would say like the, the top four foods for core four and then the eight foods for eliminate in the elimination diet section of the book, those are eight foods that most of them may work for some people and then may not work for other people. And then we all have different tolerance to these things too. So it is like some people can handle a little bit of this food, uh -huh. but if they have too much of it, it's a problem. So it's not as easy in black and white and say it's always a problem. So for example, like sugars on the list, like that's obviously not great to have an excess. It's like, I've heard it said, sugar's like a recreational drug. You shouldn't <laughs> use it often and not in a lot of amounts. But like some, people have, some people have more tolerance to it. Some people yeah. can handle more and they're fine. And then some people are severely insulin resistant or get flare-ups from that. So yes, like we want to go off of sugar for this time and then bring it back in be in tune with our body, see how we feel. But that doesn't mean you can never have sugar again, but uh -huh. too much of it will be a problem. So sugar grains, specifically gluten-containing grains. Uh -huh. Again, there's a 
hybridization of wheat supply that's a mismatch between our genetics and epigenetics going back to that ancestral health perspective that I have. Wait, say that, say that in like layman's terms. So basically <laughs> people messed up, messed up our wheat supply. Uh, messed up. I love it. It's so lame in terms. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying, they're trying to, they were making, they were trying to make the wheat. It's unintended consequences always, right? It's like always done with good intentions, but you know what they say about good intentions? What do they say? The, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. Oh, so, thank I you. Guess. I'm like on the sure. edge of my seat. I'm like, what's the answer? <laughs> what did they say? What did they say? <laughs> Who are they? What did they say about this? But no, the, uh, basically we have problems when we mess with nature is basically what I'm trying to say that mm-hmm. they, they, it sounds great because it makes the wheat more resistant. It makes it more, more durable, survive winters and survive bugs and all this stuff. But then what happens? We've changed the molecular structure of wheat and other grains as well, like corn and soy uh, and legumes like soy. Uh, but then we are seeing over time that the hybridization or the genetic modification in regards to corn and soy and the hybridization of wheat. And then obviously the spraying with the glyphosate and all the mm-hmm. stuff that's coming out with that uh, is the fact that we're triggering genetic predispositions like never before. Now, there are people that can handle more wheat or more grains and they're fine. And then some people that can't. Mm-hmm. So we all have the analogy that I use is the cup analogy. Some people have big cups and small cups. So some people, and the cup is our genetic tolerance to junk and stress. And some people can smoke three packs a day, eat like crap, and then they'll live a long, healthy life. Yeah. And then some people have small cups and then they're, they're, they eat relatively well or really well and are still seeing flare-ups. Wow. And it's just whatever cup you were, size cup you were born with. Yeah. So cup is that third puzzle. Mm-hmm. You can't change the cup size, but you can change what you put in the cup. Wow. So wheat is one of that or grains are one of that, but it's not for everybody. So we, the book is telling you how to see how you feel on this. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones would be oils that can be inflammatory, like canola oil and soybean oil and these sort of high omega-6 polyunsaturated fats or PUFAs, as we call them. In, in, Ew, in fun, acronym. PUFA. PUFAs, yeah. Uh, and uh, so those are like the top ones, but then there's obviously legumes that can be a problem for some people. And there are mm-hmm. some people that are genetically more sensitive to lectins. And I know that's kind of a hot topic in the health space, but mm-hmm. not everybody has a problem with lectins. Some people can handle them, some people can't. So we look at the different gene SNPs in the book that make predispose some people to these lectin sensitivities, these food sensitivities. And um, the other ones would be nightshades, which are uh-huh. plant groups that some people have a tolerance for, some people don't have a tolerance for. So these are some things to think about that as we're going down this list, we're talking about real food and whole foods. And again, just because it works for one person may not mean it's right for you. Right. So that's why I don't want to make any broad sweeping statements because I love ketchup, but it's a nightshade. <laughs> Heinz, <laughs> Heinz ketchup. You got to love ketchup. Yes, represent, <laughs> but I get the organic stuff. But that I, was so you know. random. You're just like, I love ketchup. <laughs> but I do love, I example. personally love ketchup, actually. Oh, I love ketchup. ketchup. I'll tell you two things I it's love. I love ketchup. Love ketchup so much. And I love peanut butter so much. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. But ketchup is a nightshade. It can flare someone and up. It's it just like sugar. Yeah. yeah. But night tomatoes are nightshades and they can flare some people yeah. up. Not, not me. I'm fine with it. But some people... Can't have a problem with it. I'm fine with peanut butter, but it's a legume. Mm-hmm. So it, it works for me, but may, may, and it may not work for someone else. So what I'm trying to do is teach people what works for your body and what doesn't. Yes. So those are some foods on the short list, but doesn't mean they're all bad. But I want mm-hmm. you to discover it and see if it is or not for you. That's great. Yeah, I think there's so much. I mean, all these books about uh, just uh, whatever. There's so much about like this is bad. And it's the bottom line is nothing is bad for everyone. Everyone's different. <laughs> totally. Bottom line. I mean, there's some like don't have like full on junk food every day. We know that's nutrient less and nu- not nutrient deficient. But under the paradigm of whole foods, real foods, there's so much variability. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, focus on real foods. But within that, uh, with, mm, underneath okay, that okay. umbrella of real foods, what works for you? So are you even addressing like animal products like dairy or eating meat or fish or anything? Or are we really talking like in the world of basically plant eating, there are different types of 
produce thingies, grown natural grown food groups that can actually cause inflammation. Uh, so dairy is on the list, mm -hmm. and that largely is a bigger conversation of the beta A1 casein and the beta A2 casein. Again, this hybridization of cows, us messing with okay. nature and changing the subtype of casein that can trigger some issues for some people. But again, dairy can be fine. So we teach about the generally the better kinds and then generally Go. the more inflammatory Go and kinds. sheep, right? Yeah. That's the good kind. That's yeah, definitely more or the A2 <laughs> cheeses and the A2 like that you'll see in the health food stores. That's the OG casein. That's that's been around the block for thousands of years. It's the beta A1 casein that is the the new casein on the block, so to speak. And it's again a mismatch between genetics and epigenetics that's triggering these problems. So dairy's on there. Uh Meat, I tell people in the book to go more fish centric and mm. more being more pescatarian size. And I give some plant based options for people who are entirely plant based as well. Because obviously, with my first book being Ketotarian, it's a mostly plant based book. I wanted to, to empower people they could still do this, yeah. uh, being plant based. Um, but yeah, it is. Um, we give many options for right. people to kind of find out what works for their body. I'm so excited. I don't have the book. I want the book. I'm very excited. I hope everybody wants the book. This sounds like a user's manual to one's body with plants, which is fantastic. Yeah. Now, outside of plants, are there lifestyle habits that can also be culprits for inflammation? So glad you brought that up. Absolutely. Because it is not just about food. It's We have to look at the non-food inflamers, as I call it, um, because you could be eating the you could be chowing down on kale and kombucha all day long, but if you're serving your body a big slice of stress every day, that's <laughs> counteracting all the good stuff. That's oh, junk yes. food for your soul. <laughs> you yes. know, stress and bad relationship with social media or uh, not moving enough. These are all things that can impact inflammation levels, mm -hmm. certainly. So food is a good starting point, but you have to deal with your, what are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your soul? What are you feeling your your spirit. Uh, these are the other things to consider about too, because that's food and it will impact physiology, meaning that is something that you're intaking that is impacting physiology. Wow. So you're saying how we consume social media and how we, you know, think when we're scrolling on Instagram can actually affect our genes and our health and our inflammation. Absolutely. I mean, there's growing amount of studies showing that it's rewiring our brains, it's impacting cortisol levels, impacting inflammatory cascades. We have to look at all that. And that's under the umbrella of like stress and the impact that technology can have on our stress mm -hmm. levels and our circadian rhythms. And it's throwing off our sleep and our hormones. It's it is a problem. I mean, yeah, we, but really we have bad. to find a balance like it's the double edged sword. We have we're connecting this way now. This is how I talk to my patients. Yeah. But it is having healthy boundaries. It is using it for good and not for this sort of pervasive, malignant, all-consuming uh, problem that can really consume people's life and their, consume their health. Yeah. So do you have advice for this um, lifestyle stuff in the book as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's um, eight main ones. And then obviously within the eight, there's different aspects to them. But yeah, there's each one, I'm not saying just live in a, on a mountain in a, in a convent somewhere, a monastery. I, I definitely tell people like these are alternatives to try. And there are the non-food stuff is oftentimes harder than the food stuff because everyone needs to eat. But it is these things that are like they're so ingrained in our culture that uh, they are oftentimes harder to break. Um, but it's important to start cultivating that mindfulness and awareness to a different way, a more balanced way to start improving someone's quality of life. I was just going to ask that as a question. Is it more challenging to get people on board with the lifestyle stuff than the food stuff? And you answered the question. I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's not a terribly challenging argument to say to someone, hey, what you're putting in your body affects your body. But it's, mm -hmm. I guess, a harder leap for somebody to understand that like, you know, how I consume social media or how often I get outside actually affects the inner makings of my body as well. Totally. Yeah. And it's different for different people. I mean, food can be definitely difficult for some people, but I would yes. say in gen general, you're absolutely right. I think it's the lifestyle stuff that's a little bit, bit more gray. They don't yeah. realize the impact it's having in their life. What's like your favorite lifestyle? Not, I don't want to say hack, but like 
principle that you share in your book or just like live in your life that could help somebody um, tone down their inflammation? Is it what was the proper decrease inflammation? Is that mm-hmm. the yeah uh, decrease the balance decrease or balance inflammation levels? Because oh, remember, balance. inflammation is needed, but it's yeah we say lowering or decreasing okay. or balancing. Yeah, okay. um, but the best thing I would say is start with the food approach. So look at that uh, as your go to, and then lean into it. I don't think stressing about food is a good thing. It's not, it's counteracting what you're doing, Uh, but lean into it. But as long as you're progressing and moving at your own pace, as long as you're leaning into it, I'm okay with that. Even if you start off simple and we have a whole chapter that's called initiate that and all the chapters, instead of the ATE, we put the number eight. It's super clever guys. You're going to love this. (laughs) Big on the the eight. Why eight? (laughs) Well, there's a deeper meaning to this that I talk about in the book, but Eight is like I'm Infinity into like ancient wisdom. Oh, okay. well, it could be that, but no, but se- seven in like ancient tradition and esoteric, like numerology meaning seven is like there's seven days of the week. There are a lot of our systems in our world have to do with number seven. Moving above seven is eight. So it's like moving beyond limitations. Ooh. Um, so I wanted to give people food freedom, move beyond their limitations. I got keep chills. Them back in wow. <laughs> so that's the eight is works out because it's eliminate and you're talking about eight weeks of cleaning your body and calming inflammation. But the eight, number eight is like meaningful to me. So that's oh, what I put it in the book. That's beautiful. But, yeah. So um, the I don't remember the question. I don't either. It was just like a lifestyle thing that you recommend. You basically said stop stressing start with food yeah, <laughs> start, start with food, with food. And don't stress, stress about it. food and something they say in the book that's so impactful to me and my team like over the years is that you can't heal a body you hate mm-hmm. is that a lot of people think i'm gonna punish my body into wellness or i'm gonna like just restrict it and like do another fad diet we don't need another fad diet mm-hmm. just shift that perspective on like punishing your body with another restrictive diet to how can i love my body enough to nourish it with good stuff and I know that's something you get behind and yes. I get behind and like well, that is sustainable wellness. Yeah. When you realize your own intrinsic worth and how valuable of a creation that you are, you are more, way more likely to make acts of radiant wellness because you just have self-worth. So that's really a oh. message that I think should be the ethos to anybody's like next step when it comes to health. That is like your next TED talk. There you go. That That's your TED talk. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to ask you about your favorite plants and then I will let you get back to healing people. What is your favorite plant to eat? Avocados, hands down. That was a quick answer. What, what's your yeah. fave thing to do with avocados? Ketchup, uh, a little so ketchup on top. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely Tabasco sauce, like hot sauce would be great. Um, I like avocado fries, like crusted in like almond flour. It's amazing. It's a recipe actually in Ketotarian that I love with this chipotle aioli dressing. It's really yummy. But that sounds terrific. Okay, great. What is your favorite planty restaurant? My favorite planty restaurant? Uh Uh, It would be, it's called Plant. Perfect. (laughs) It's actually called Plant in Miami. And anybody that goes to Miami, go to Plant. It's amazing. It's a, like a raw food, vegan. It's amazing. Carla, oh. it's at the Sacred Space in Miami. You should go check it out. I actually was at a James Beard house dinner for Neil, who's the head chef of ABCV. And he was like hosting the dinner. And I sat next to that woman that owns oh, Carla. That. Yes, Carla I absolutely oh, sat gosh. next to her. She, that's amazing. What a small yeah. world. She's like my soul sister. I love oh. her, but she, yeah, she yeah. was in for some speaking thing. She was like, I don't know. There was a lot, it was like wine pairing. It got a little crazy, but like she was there and, <laughs> and we connected. <laughs> so I've heard about plants. Okay. What is your most used kitchen tool? Hmm. Probably a butter knife. Does that count? Oh, I've never gotten that one before. That is well, why? You spread your avocado on things? Yes, I spread <laughs> the avocado on it. I churn my peanut butter. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I, yeah, I use the butter knife probably more than anything. I open things with it. Yeah. What do you open with it? Uh, like probably peanut butter canisters. <laughs> what like, is up with – okay, so you are t- saying for the record that peanut butter is not the devil. 
Not for me, but for, for some people, for cake causes issues. Got yeah, it. so almond butter is out there, macadamia nut butter, cashew butter, it's other options. Oh God, but so yeah, for funny. me, I love peanut butter. I can but tell. Probably, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could spread anything on any sauce on anything. I, I probably would say butter knife. That's hilarious. Is there a specific type of peanut butter that one should look for? Like, do you get one that's just ground peanuts? Do you, spec- do you yes. care about the oil? What, like, what's your peanut butter ethos? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is, this is going to impact so many people in a I'm positive so way because people love peanut butter, Yeah. but it is, I would say get organic, get mm-hmm. or get Valencia peanuts, which is understood that Valencia peanuts tend to be lower in the aflatoxin mold that can be in higher in peanuts. Um, and you know, if you can get raw, like good sourced ones, but I just think we'll get organic Valencia that, that if you do that, you're going to be better off than most people. So it says Valencia on the jar. Yeah, like okay. Costco has one, and okay. oh, yeah, just it'll say maybe never looked for peanuts. that. All right, on the back, like in the ingredients, it should be on the front. On the front, like, they'll say they'll like the brag yeah. about it. They're stoked. They're they'll, like, they'll brag no. about it. They okay. want you to know, but no one knows why they should get it. But I just now told we do. You right now. There we go. Amazing. That's that. If anything was worth hearing in this conversation, <laughs> you got that tip. They had to wait to the very end yeah. to hear it. But. <laughs> uh, okay. So, what is your favorite thing that you do for self care? Hmm. I would say the, it sounds so like cliched and Instagrammy, but it's, I would say that, uh, just mindfulness breathing is the best thing I could do for self-care because it anchors me in the present moment. It's really important with my job with seeing patients with heavy stuff, like yeah. mindfulness, breathing, present moment awareness is without a doubt the thing I use the most and the thing that helps me the most. Great. So just like tuning in and just yeah. being like, I'm going to breathe. Nothing now. fancy. It's completely free. <laughs> there you go. All right. A book besides your own that has inspired you in an awesome way? That's a good question. I would say uh, Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, The Power of Now. Hmm. Wonderful. That goes, that tunes in with the mindfulness breathing. Oh, totally. He's, it's one of those books that I keep going back to over and yeah. over again. The right. audio books are great because his voice is very calming. Oh, too. that's good to know. That I sometimes yeah. prefer. That's good to know. Audible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I was sponsored by them. Okay, your book, where can people get it? I mean, that's a dumb question because everyone knows where to get books. When does it come out? What about your other book? Where can people stay connected to you? So everything's at drwillcole.com. It's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. It can pre-order uh, the Inflammation Spectrum. It comes out October 15th if they're listening to it later because you know some people like to binge listen yeah. to podcast. So it could be out whenever you're listening to this in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Ketotarian's there and you can, we offer That's free health book. evaluation. Ketotarian, yeah. Mostly plant-based keto. And then we offer a free webcam or phone health evaluation if people want to oh. find out if functional medicine is right for them. We offer online group classes too. Like there's so much stuff they can get at drwillcole.com. Wait, so tell me more just briefly, if you don't mind, about that consultation. What would someone expect yeah. if they were like booking that? Like, I, what if I want to book one? What would I you expect? Can book, you can book one. I mean, it's just with me. It's there. All the consults are with me. Uh, typically, the health evaluation happens. It's with one of my health coaches. And they say, okay, what's, what are you going through? Is this right for you? Would a consult with Dr. Cole be appropriate for you? So we don't want to like make waste anybody's time or money so on the consult. So that's the first step. Oh, I yes. see. That's the free thing. Yeah, the free evaluation is with the health coach just to see if functional is right for you. Okay. So that way we're only booking people that are like, this is like right for them and we're, we're going to hit the ground running on helping them. And then the consults with me, it's about an hour and a half, two hours um, talking about their health in detail. And yeah, and wow. we have group classes too for people that don't want one-on-one. We just launched the group classes, which are amazing. They're online. Mm-hmm. We can we drop ship blood labs to them and we oh. go over the blood labs on the group class. Super cool. Um, it's, it's HIPAA compliant because we're not like divulging anyone's health information on the web, on the group class, but people have their own lab results at home and oh they're going God. over it with me on the group class and learning about their health from a functional medicine standpoint. So I, I'm really so excited cool. about it. It's my goal and my team's goal to make functional medicine continuing to make it more accessible, more affordable for people. So if we can talk to 100 people at once in a group class, that enables us to lower the cost uh, for the group classes. So we still do one-on-one, but we do the group classes too. That is incredible. I feel like a million people are going to join that. I feel like I'm going to join that. That sounds really, really awesome. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for coming on today. Wow, this was so fun. I really appreciate it. Yes, it was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. 
I hope you're feeling engulfed in flames of inspiration, but less inflamed and substantially more equipped to attend to your inflammation in general. I'll say that I've had a lot of chats with folks about their new books, and I don't recall ever feeling this excited about one. I mean, the way Dr. Cole combines like medical stuff with inspirational stuff is unparalleled. Go him. And you, how about you go to the show notes at partyinmyplants.com slash 160, where you can get a recap of this chat, check out his book, The Inflammation Spectrum, and learn more about Tenzo's terrific matcha-cha. Again, that's partyinmyplants.com slash 160. And how about now I say a big fat thank you for listening and have a great day.